Uh, a few weeks ago, um, uh, maybe a couple of months ago, I brought a bit of a confession to you guys. If you were here, you'll remember. I openly admitted uh, a felony and uh, driving through a red light a number of years ago. It was seven or eight years ago. And um, confessed that before you. And I can't remember what the illustration was for, but there you go. I share that with you. But what I can share with you now is that there was some silver lining in me doing that. I wouldn't um, suggest that you go and do that. But uh, when you get caught committing an offence like that, driving through a red light or speeding, uh, you'll usually get offered one of two uh, punishments, I suppose you could say they're punishments. One is points on your licence. Another one is a driver's awareness course. Some of you will look at me like you know this all too well, and it's all very familiar. Well, on this occasion, I chose the driver's awareness course. And I have to say, I wouldn't recommend you do it, because in order to do it, you have to commit a crime. But if the opportunity arises for you to do it, it is brilliant. It is a really good course. And the course, the particular one that I was on, was all framed around why we have these things in place, why we have traffic lights, why we have speed limits, why we have the rules of the road. And uh, what I learned during this three or four hour session uh, that I was on was that really these things, they're not there to, to take away our fun. Like the red light isn't there to stop you having a good time. Like there's no intention in, in them wanting you to be late for work, which is why I was uh, running the red light. The reason that red lights are there, the reason that, that we have speed limits is to protect us. Actually, it was just helpful to be reminded of that. You get so used to driving, don't you? Just trying to get somewhere as quick as you can. It's good to be reminded that the red light was there to warn me of danger. It was stopping me from going into the junction and plowing into another car and causing devastation. That's what traffic lights are for. That's why we stop at red lights, because we are being kept away from danger. And Song of Solomon, chapter 2 here... As we read through, we get a red light. We get a warning in this passage. We get a bit of a, okay, let's just, let's stop at the boundary and not go any further. It just, if you've got your Bible, turn with, turn with me to Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 2. I'm going to read it all for us in a minute, but just, just turn your attention to verse 7. In verse 7, we see a warning, a red light. And this warning, it's the only verse or the only refrain that's repeated multiple times through the song and the warning is this the 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 speaker is talking to those around them and what they say is this don't stare up or awaken love until it pleases don't stare up or awaken love until it pleases or in other words don't don't engage in in your desires and particularly when we're when we're working through the song we're, we're looking particularly at sexual desire don't engage in those things until it's the right time. Until it's the right time. We've already seen in this song, in chapter one, we've seen that desire is a good gift from God. It's not something to push away. It's not something to lock in a box. Ultimately, we've seen that, that our human desires, including sexual desire, they're given to us as a gift from God. For us to enjoy, we're going to see within, within certain boundaries. But ultimately, they're, they're given to us to lead us to Jesus. Because what we find when we engage in, in our desires is that they never ultimately satisfy. They all hit a ceiling. Like they might please us. We might find enjoyment for, for a certain while, but, but eventually they hit a ceiling. And when we hit that ceiling, the intended purpose is to point us to, to a greater love. 
For us to see that there must be something more than this. And God in his love wants us to be drawn to his son, to see that actually we find true satisfaction in him. Our human desires are there to lead us into greater intimacy with Jesus. And so human sexual desire is good, but there are boundaries. God who created us has given us boundaries for how we engage in these things, in his word, not to spoil our fun, but to protect us, to protect us. And we see in God's word that the right place for for engaging and finding fulfillment in our sexual desires is always within marriage. There is no other place for our sexual desires to be fulfilled. The question is this, and the question that will be provoked from our passage this afternoon, is what happens when we ignore the warning? What happens when we drive through the red light? We hear the warning here in verse 7, we see it repeated three times through the song. Don't awaken love, don't engage in these desires until the right time. But what happens if we ignore the warning and drive through the red light and walk over the boundaries, which if we're honest, we all do. All of us are broken, folks, and there's no exception to that. All of us in this room are broken. We all battle disordered desires specifically in this area. The sin of of sexual desire, fulfilling that sexual desire outside of the safety of marriage, that sin is real for many, if not all of us. And I'm sure there's even some of us this week who, who who have felt the fallenness of that, who have felt the weight of that. And just, just so we're clear, like I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about just sex outside of marriage. Quite often, that's where we go to, right? When we think of of engaging in in in, in our sexual desires in, a, in an unbiblical way, uh, quite often those of us who are Christians think in those ways. Well, it's 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 sex outside of marriage that we need to avoid. Well. Well, that, that isn't all that we need to avoid. You think of how Jesus engages with this issue in the same on the mount. And he acknowledges those kind of physical activities, but he goes to the heart, doesn't he? And he actually talks about sin of the heart. And, and what he's going at is our thoughts, our motives. And so it might be maybe that that's something that you have dabbled with, engaged with. But I think more likely in this room, we're talking about sinful fantasies. Sinful daydreaming, lustful thoughts, secret sexual gratification. All of us, folks, all of us struggle with sexual brokenness. All of us metaphorically are carrying points on our license in this area. And there is something particularly devastating about sexual sin. Like we know, the Bible teaches us that all sin, all of our sin, is us falling short of the, the, the standard, the glorious standard that God has given. It has all fallen short of where we should be, but there is something particularly grievous about sexual sin, something about sexual sin that leaves a mark, leaves a stain. And what are we to do with that? What are we to do with the stain that is left from sexual sin? Well, remember this song that we're in here. It is a song that is about human love, but it's also, it's talking about and pointing to our relationship with Jesus. Remember, this song is is written in a way to draw us in, to help us just engage in the experience of those within the song, but it's ultimately written to draw us up to Jesus, 
to help us to see our relationship with Jesus, which the Bible tells us is him engaging with us as a faithful husband. And we are his church, the bride. And so far in the song, we've seen how he engages with us, what type of of husband he is to the church who is his bride. And we've seen so far that, that he deeply loves us. He has a deep love for us. And then last week, we, we saw that he delights in us because he sees himself in us. Because of the finished work of the cross, because of our salvation, because we are clothed in his righteousness. When Jesus looks at us, he sees, he sees his own righteousness and he can't help but delight in what he sees. And now specifically, because of the context of this song, because there is a song about these type of desires, and particularly because of the warning that we find in verse 7. We're going to see something additional about how he engages with us this afternoon. And here's what we'll see. That the Lord Jesus Christ, as our faithful husband, he meets us in our sexual sin and he always meets us with love. He doesn't run away from us. He isn't embarrassed about us. He meets us in our sin and he meets his people consistently with love. Well, let me read our passage. We'll start at chapter 2, verse 1. And if you remember, we see these exchanges through the song. We see the, the woman speak and we see the man speak. And this is a, a husband and wife who at different times in the song are either preparing for marriage or they are married or they're coming to the end of their marriage. And as we come in at verse one, it's the, the woman who is speaking at this point, And she says this, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. He, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. She, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Let's pray. Father, This is a difficult word maybe for some of us this afternoon, so we ask for your help. We believe that these are the words of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to us, your people this afternoon. We believe that these are powerful words, that they are 
living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we want you to come and bring a change in our hearts and our lives. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do that, that you would reveal truth to us, that you would point us and lead us to Jesus. Help us to, to know his love, to be convinced of it, and to feel it this afternoon as we hear from him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, in this passage here in chapter two, we see four movements, four movements that the, the believer is encouraged to walk in light of our sexual brokenness. This is something we all contend with. And what we see in, in just the way that the, the, the woman and the man engage with each other, even though for her it isn't particularly an issue of sexual sin necessarily, but what we see in her posture towards her husband and his posture to her is four helpful ways in which we can walk in our own sin. And the first one is this. It's to remember who we are. To remember who we are and specifically to remember who Jesus says that we are. We see in verse one there, she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And there's no indication here that, that, that she is struggling with the type of sin that we're talking about here. I, I don't actually think that's the case. But what she is struggling with, which we do identify with when we're struggling in that sin, is she's struggling with her identity. So the rose of Sharon here, it's a reference to a Middle Eastern flower that was more like a crocus. And now the thing with crocuses or croci, I'm hedging me bets there, is that um, in, when you're in a, in a context where there's lots of crocuses, like think Sefton Park in the spring, they're everywhere, right? Like they're not, you don't just see kind of one pop up on its own, like they cover the fields, they're everywhere. And it's the same with the lilies of the valleys that she talks about there. They would have carpeted the valleys there. And so she sees herself really as nothing special. She's just ordinary, regular common for some reason that is how she feels even though in chapter one we've already heard how her husband delights over her but for some reason that that delight has slipped away from her and now she just feels common regular unspectacular and sexual sin brings us to that same place when we ignore the boundaries when we take and we touch and we fantasize about what isn't ours we feel the shame of living a life that we thought that we'd once left. As Christians, we feel that. We feel the shame of, of slipping back into a type of living that we thought that we'd left now that we are born again. We feel the reality of living what feels like an unholy life, a common life. A rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. But then listen to how he responds in verse two. He says, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. He's saying this to her, you're not common. You're anything but common. You are spectacular and you are precious. And, and they are good words for any husband to say to their wife. But remember, this is ultimately about our relationship with Jesus and how Jesus relates to us. And so firstly, in the shame of our sin, when we feel it, particularly in this area, remember who you are. You are not who your sin says that you are. You are not who the world says that you are because you've engaged in this particular sin. You get to hear the same words that we hear of the faithful husband here. You are a lily among brambles. And when we hear brambles, when we hear thorns, it should take us back to somewhere in particular. It takes us back to Eden. 
And in Genesis chapter 3, we are reminded there that the curse of sin is placed over humanity. And a picture that we see of the curse is the thorns, the thistles, the brambles. And this man is saying to his woman here, you are a lily in the thorns. You are different. You are separated from that world of sin. And we, brothers and sisters in Christ, get to hear that same word from Jesus. Remember in Acts chapter 10. Some of you will know this encounter that the Apostle Peter has with Jesus. Jesus is trying to teach Peter what kind of people come into the kingdom of God. And Peter's just not getting it. Like he's a little bit slow at times. And so uh, uh, Jesus gives him this vision. And a, and a blanket lowers from the sky. And, and on this blanket, on this sheet, are all sorts of different foods that, that as a Jew, Peter shouldn't eat. And Peter looks at these foods and he says to the Lord, I will not eat anything that is that is common or unclean. And the Lord says to Peter, Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. Brothers and sisters, despite what you have done, at the cross, Jesus bore the shame and guilt of all of your sin, including these type of sins. And through his resurrection life, you were and are holy. So despite what the voice of sin might whisper to you, despite what the world might say that you are because of this type of sin that you have engaged in, hear what the Lord says. What God has made clean, do not call common. He has made you clean. You are not common. You're holy. You know, the only other time the Rose of Sharon is mentioned in the Bible, it's in Isaiah chapter 35. This is the song of the redeemed, Isaiah 35. And in Isaiah 35, you see this picture of a wilderness, a desert. And in the middle of the desert, a crocus pops up. The rose of Sharon pops up in the midst of a barren land. And it's sustained and it's given life and it grows and there's beauty around it. And it is given life through Christ's redeeming work. What God has made clean, do not call common. The reality of our sin, particularly our sexual sin, brothers and sisters, remember who Jesus says that you are. And if you're not a believer this afternoon, you need to hear. The only way that we can come into the presence of a holy God is if we ourselves are holy. And there is no other way that you can make yourself holy. Like you can't make yourself holy. You can't make yourself righteous. You can't make yourself clean. The only way you can be presented holy in the presence of a good and loving father and be brought into his eternal home is by putting your faith in the finished work of the cross. It's the only way. So remember who you are. And secondly, come to him. Come to Jesus. You know, when I was young, I'm sure a lot of us share this type of memory. When I'd done something wrong, uh, when I'd you know, lied or um, stolen something or whatever it was. And, and by the way, I'd, I have amazing parents. They're full of grace and they raised me incredibly well. They were full of love. But, but there were times when I'd done something wrong where I, and they, they knew about it. I just had to look at my mom or my dad and I knew what was coming. Like, it just struck terror into me. They didn't have to say a word. It was that look. Anyone? Yeah, we know it, right? That look that just strikes terror in, into your body and, and, and it brings fear to you. It's interesting. 
One of the great lies of sin is that that is how God still deals with his children. This side of the cross. That even though all of the punishment that is due to us for our sin has already been placed on his son. So often when we sin, when we fall short of his standard, and particularly in this area of sexual sin, we can, we can think, well, I need to stay away from God because, because something bad might happen if I come near to him. And actually we can feel fear and we can feel terror and we can, be, we can find ourselves falling into that lie that God is going to punish us for what he's already punished his son for. And so we stay away. See, in verse 1 and verse 2, the woman hears this, this beautiful declaration spoken over her by her husband. And then she responds. She's reminded of who she is. And then she responds in verse 3. And, and what is her response? She comes to him. She comes to him and she sees him firstly as, as like an apple tree amongst the forest. An apple tree which is broad and has has big limbs and leaves that, that ultimately she finds shelter under. She, she finds shelter in his shadow underneath this tree. In verse 4, she, she sees that he, he's like a banner of love over her. He has this declaration, a statement over her that he loves her. And in verse 5 and 6, we see a picture of just their intimate love together, the closeness, the delight that they have. In her struggle with her identity, for whatever she has done, she comes to her husband, she's reminded of who she is, and she finds love. She finds safety. In our sin, when our identity feels like it is slipping away, remember who Christ says you are and come to him. Don't stay away, come to him. And what you find when you draw near to Jesus is that he meets us in our brokenness with love, consistently. He meets us with his love. In fact, in fact, actually what we see in the song here is when we come to Jesus, we actually realize that he's been pursuing us. You see this beautiful picture of the husband galloping over the mountains, bounding over the, hill, the hills like a gazelle. He's pursuing his woman. And actually that is so often what we find when we come to Jesus, when we eventually come to our senses, when we engage in sin, we come to him, we realize that he's been pursuing us. Christ wants us to be in the safety of his presence, to enjoy the sweetness of his love. And in verse three and four, we really see we, we see the work that he wants to do when it is that we come to him. Why does he want us to be with him? Well, firstly, in verse three, we come under the shadow of his presence. We come into a place of refuge. Imagine the sun beaten down. This, this hostile Middle Eastern climate and she finds rest and refreshment and delightment under the apple tree. Well, in the same way, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find refuge. We find rest, we find refreshment from our sin. Folks, this is really a picture of repentance. Repentance isn't just turning away from your sin, turning away from what is evil, it's turning to what is good, turning to Jesus. We run to him and we run to him and we find what is good, we find love, we find delight, we find grace. There's no judgment, there's no anger when we come to him. There's rest. And then in verse four, we see that he raises his banner over his beloved. And the banner that is raised is a banner of love. In Solomon's day, this type of banner was a military banner. 
and it would have been waved over the armies. And it was a declaration of two things. Firstly, a declaration of possession and then a declaration of protection. And so when we come to Christ with our sin, the banner that he raises over us is a banner that says, you are mine. It's a banner of love. It's a declaration of possession. It's a banner that says, you belong to me. I have won you to myself. I have invaded the enemy camps and I've disarmed you and I've subdued you and I've won you to myself. And the power that brought you from a kingdom of darkness into my kingdom of light, it was love. That's what won you into my kingdom. He raises a banner over us as a declaration of possession and as a declaration of protection. Jesus plants this this banner of love firmly over us, not just so that we can see it, but so that our enemies can see it. You know, when we engage in sin, particularly in this type of sin, Satan hopes that in our sin, we will abandon Jesus and we will defect back into his kingdom. That's what he wants. And let me just say this. If you put your faith in Jesus, if you are born again, that will never happen. It cannot happen. You are safe in Christ for eternity. And Christ's banner over his people is a banner of love. And when we come to Jesus, Satan sees that banner of love. He sees Christ's love over us. And when he sees that, he knows he is powerless to win us back. So come to him with your sin. Be reminded of who you are. Be reminded of his love. And thirdly, commune with him. Just look at verse 14 with me. This is the man speaking and he says this. Oh, my love, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. It seems like, you know, this, this man is pursuing his wife. He's, he's pursuing her. He's bounded over these mountains, over these hills. He's doing all that he can to be with her. But at this point in verse 14, it seems that, that she's, she's hiding from him. Like maybe she's embarrassed or she's ashamed of something for some reason. But, but his intent is to draw her out. Come out of the clefts. Let me see your face and hear your voice. And folks, that is so often our response to sin. Even when Christ is pursuing, so often we isolate ourselves. And we draw away from Jesus. And Jesus says, no, come to me. I want to see your face. And I want to hear your voice. I'm pursuing you. Mountains and hills will not separate me from you. Nothing can separate you from my love. I I want to be with you. I want you to be near me. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. It's sweet to me. It's lovely to me. Here's a quote from uh, Robert Murray McShane, one of my favorite uh, Scottish pastors around in the 19th century. And he's reflecting on these verses here. And he talks about just, just the, the feeling that we have when we're often in this place of, of just feeling the weight and the gravity of, of, of sin. And actually how we think of Christ in those moments. And how we think that he doesn't want to be with us. And, and this is what he says, while they or while we sit alone, desolate mountains of separation appear a vast and impassable barrier to the Saviour. And they fear he may never come again. The mountains of a believer's provocations. So the things that go on in our mind, the different questions, the different doubts that fill our mind when we are, when we are deep in sin, they are often very great. We say things like this, that I should have sinned again, who have been washed in the blood of Jesus, 
It is a small thing that, that other people should sin against him. They never knew him. They never loved him as I have done. Surely I am the chief of sinners and have sinned away my saviour. The mountain of my provocations has grown up to heaven and he will never come over anymore. Thus it is that believers write bitter things against themselves. McShane saying quite often we find ourselves in that place where we think, no, 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 I've gone too far. I've clocked up too many points on the license. Like I've just been back in this sin again and again and again. There's too many mountains, too many barriers for, for Christ to come and, and engage with me in the type of love and affection that I once felt. No, no, I've gone too far. But then McShane goes on. And then it is that often they hear the voice of their beloved. Some text of God's word or some word from a Christian friend. Or some part of a sermon, again, reveals Jesus in all his fullness. The saviour of sinners, even the chief. Or it may be that he makes himself known to the disconsolate soul in the breaking of bread. And when he speaks the gentle words, this is my body. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Then believers cannot but cry out. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. And then he asks us, Ah, my friends, do you know anything of this joyful surprise? It's beautiful, isn't it? Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Doesn't matter how grievous your sin is. Doesn't matter how dark it is. Doesn't matter how many times you've been back to that same place again and again. He pursues you. He wants you. But he also wants us to take action on our part too. We're to receive his pursuit, but then we're to turn our face to him. Show him our face. What does that look like in practice? Well, I think it is to make it our priority to turn to his word and commune with him there. We repent from sin. We turn away from sin. But we don't just stop there. We refresh our souls with his word. We turn our face to Jesus and we receive from him in his word. And, and it's not just that. He doesn't just want to see our face. He wants to hear our voice too. You know, how many times, folks, do, do, we, do we pray that prayer? Lord, Lord, speak to me. We want to hear his voice. This is incredible. Jesus says, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear you speak. Feel the weight of that. Particularly when we put that in light of us being so sinful. So unworthy, Jesus says, no, your voice, it's sweet to me. I want to hear you speak. And I know so often when we're, when we're deep in our sin, prayer becomes difficult. We don't want to go there. Maybe speaking to Jesus is the last thing that we want to do because we feel shame. We feel guilt. Maybe we don't feel the energy to turn to him in prayer. Well, he says, no, I want to hear your voice. It's sweet to me. Repent from sin, yes, but then refresh your soul with his word and commune with him in prayer. We commune with him and then lastly, we look out for sin. We look out for sin. In verse 15, 
the husband recognises that, that there are forces at play that are trying to destroy the intimacy that he has with his wife. He pictures these, these little foxes coming into to the vineyard, destroying the good fruit that they've been working so hard to cultivate. And he says, help me. Help me catch these things before they do any damage. Now, a good farmer knows exactly what this means. I was watching a natural, there we go, Beth relates. Uh, A natural geographic documentary was on just a few months ago. And there was a story of this city banker who'd given up his job and he'd put all his money into buying a small holding. It was in America uh, somewhere and he was trying to basically uh, grow this farm in a purely organic way, like no chemicals and all that stuff. And he, and he bought in different animals, started with some sheep and some cows, bought some chickens. And he had lots of chickens, but he, he came across a bit of a problem. One morning he came out and it was a bloodbath. Like there were just dead chickens everywhere. They hadn't been eaten, they were just dead. And so he, he thought, well, I'm gonna have to do something about it. So he went around the whole perimeter of the farm and he put up fences. He suspected what it might be coming in. He thinks it's probably coyotes coming in to uh, have a bit of fun. So he puts up these uh, barriers and, and sure enough, things are okay for a little while. But then after a few weeks, the coyotes come back in and they kill more chickens. And so he puts a camera up, like some night vision cameras to see where they're coming in. And there's some gaps in the fences and some low parts. So he, he strengthens the fences, but, but the problem still ensues. And so he comes to a last resort where he's just walking the perimeter at night with his night vision goggles and his shotgun. And he's just popping off these coyotes when he sees them. And sure enough, the chickens survive. <laughs> Folks, there's some helpful wisdom here for marriages. And it's this. We need to acknowledge that there are spiritual forces at play that are seeking to wreak havoc in our marriages. Trying to steal the good fruit the good fruit that has been cultivated by the gospel. And the wisdom here is don't be complacent. Keep your eyes open. And I want to say this, husbands, you lead out in this. Regularly walk the perimeter of your marriage and look out for the gaps in the fences where the foxes are trying to get in and bring devastation. And it probably starts with checking your own heart, husbands and wives, examining your own heart, seeing where lust might be creeping in and swiftly putting it to death. Seeing where those gaps in the fences might be, those glances, those looks, those thoughts, taking them captive and putting them to death. I think it looks like Ensuring that God's word is regularly spoken and read and sung in your homes. So that God's truth is the truth that fills your house, not the, not the half-truths of the world. I think it looks like having honest conversations as married couples about sexual intimacy. The Apostle Paul speaks specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 about this issue. He says, don't deprive one another. If only for a season, for for prayer and fasting. But don't deprive each other of sexual intimacy because that becomes a foothold for the devil. And if that is a particular issue in your marriage, can I encourage you, talk about it. Talk about it. I think it's probably an issue in more marriages than we think. 
talk about it. Don't just keep the elephant in the room. Talk about it together and bring it to Jesus in prayer. I think it looks like making the constant fragrance in your home prayer. So that you're not constantly dependent on one another. And and, and being so codependent that actually you think you can achieve everything in your own strength. No, make the constant fragrance in your home prayer. Husbands, lead in this. Pray over your wives every day. Make them know, make them know that you're not their saviour, that Jesus is. I think it looks like having regular and committed times with God's people. Making sure that you're not depriving one another of, of the very place that God has given you help with your marriage. Family of God. Look out for the ways that your marriage might be vulnerable and come to Jesus for help. And that is specifically for marriages, but the same thing, folks, applies in all of our lives, in our relationship with Jesus. We need to keep what sexual sin is lurking at the fence and it wants to invade our relationship and wreak havoc. So look out, keep watch. We do that individually. Keep a close watch on our own lives. Stay close to Jesus in word and prayer and worship. We need to take responsibility individually, but also communally. See in verse 15, when he talks about catching the foxes, he, actually it's written in a way that he's not just talking to his wife here. It's, a, it's a, a request to the community. He's asking those around to help them. He's speaking to others. And folks, it's good to see that we don't guard our lives from sin on our own. We have responsibility to guard each other. And so look out for one another. Where we see gaps in the fences in others' lives, move towards that person in love and help them. If sin, if you see sin lurking near to a brother and sister, help them. Look out for, for, for where the vulnerabilities are. Like we know quite often when we're tired, that's when sin creeps in. When we see a brother or sister who is tired, who is fatigued, pray for them. Come alongside them, support them. We might see someone having a short fuse, which is just out of character for them. Pray for them. We might see someone speaking about other people in dishonorable ways. Come alongside them in love. Pray for them. Help them. We might see people spending less time with God's people, disconnecting from from the body, this place of safety. Help them. We might see people disengaging from God's word or prayer or spending time in places or with people or watching certain things that aren't profitable and are going to just rent a big hole in the fence for the enemy to come in. All of these are ways that we can be more and more vulnerable to sin. And so when we see those signs, get alongside your brother and sister and do this. Remind them of who they are. Remind them that they are God's holy ones. Encourage them to Jesus. Lead them towards Christ. Encourage them to fellowship with him and his word and pray and keep watch on them. Look out for them. Be present, be prayerful and point them to Jesus. And folks, when we lead them to him, even if they've already let sin in, the good news of the gospel is this, that we get to bring them to a God who has already thrown his banner of love over them. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know each of us in this room intimately. 
You know where, where the stain of sin, particular in this area, is fresh this afternoon. You know where it's, it's been imprinted on hearts for a long time, for a long season. And so we ask that by your spirit, you would bring grace. Remind us, Father, remind us of who we are in your son. Remind us we, we are holy. We are precious. We are delightful in your sight. And as we move towards taking this meal, Father, draw us to repentance and bring us into your presence. And as we come in, we ask that you would raise that banner over us. Help us to know that we are loved. Help us to know that we are more loved than we could know. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know whether you noticed, but there's a seasonal theme through this part of the song. I wonder if you picked it up. It feels quite appropriate at the moment. All of us have either or are on the edge of putting the heating on. The theme, the season in this part of the song is spring, the opposite of winter. We see flowers bursting through, fruits coming into blossom, singing, trees ripening and giving out their fragrances. And in verse 11, the husband says to his bride, winter is over. The rains have stopped. Folks, sin can bring our souls into a place that often feels like winter. It feels dark. It feels cold. It feels fruitless. It feels like beauty has been stripped away. And as we take this meal, this is a moment for us to repent of our sin and turn our face to Jesus. And as we come to Jesus, as we turn our face to him, we can be reminded of how he has already melted our hard hearts and brought new life. One pastor says it like this, Jesus coming into our life was like the springtime of our souls. In that moment of salvation, he brings about new life, new burdens. But he doesn't stop coming, folks. He has come and he keeps coming. He keeps coming again and again to bring warmth, to bring life, to bring fruit, to bring growth where there has been sin and where there has been darkness. And so as we take this meal, folks, I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to take time to confess confess of your sin, to repent of it rightly. That means to turn away from it and to turn to Jesus, to come back to him. There is nothing that will wipe away the stain of sin but his blood. That's what we remember when we take this cup. Remember Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Blood that has cleansed us from all iniquity. There's nothing that will bring us into his eternal home. But his broken body, which unites us to himself and to one another. That's what we remember when we take this bread. So we get to do that now. We get to take this meal in repentance. I encourage you just to take a moment in quiet and just to reflect on the, the ways that you have transgressed the good and right boundaries that God has given us in his word. The ways in which we know that we have sinned against our good father.
Take a moment of quiet and just remember those things. Confess those quietly in prayer to your Father and repent of those things. And we take this meal in faith. We take it in faith that as we take this meal, Jesus meets us in love. Or in judgment. Not to chastise us. But as we take this bread and hold this cup in our hands, we are reminded of the love of Christ towards us, which covers a multitude of sins.